0: So tonight I thought we could talk about um, a curious absence. So just the way we all grew up, um, you know, we became quite certain that what we were was a separate individual self. You know, it was almost a you know, respected thing in this culture to sort of gain our own individuality and, you know, live life as a, you know, unique, independent person, sort of making our own way. It's a highly respected value, and especially in this country, it seems. Um, so we, we sort of adopted this um, sense of separate self. We can't remember how that really happened. It wasn't a conscious choice. You know, there wasn't a point where we decided, well, you know, what I'd really like to be is is feeling separate from the rest of the world and from other people. And um, I think I'll go with that. You know, that, that's not how it happened. It just, um, along, it, we just sort of followed the, followed the herd, you know, everybody believes that. And... There didn't seem to be any benefit in questioning that uh, until perhaps um, it began to feel like a limitation rather than a freedom. Um, You know, at first it felt good to go out and experience the world as an independent self, seek the pleasures, the excitement, the adventure. That's great. Um, But at some point we may feel constrained by that feeling like, you know, it's uh the the sort of the sense of at homeness in the world is somehow just just beyond our grasp, somehow. Just over the horizon, just a short way, you know, a little more effort and you know, we'll attain a state of perpetual happiness. We'll gain our goals and things will be good. Um, so it's really only when we begin to feel the um, restrictiveness of that sense of separate self that we are even willing to consider other possibilities. You know, so when, despite this sense that I know there's a separate self here, I'm certain of it, <laughs> and yet when we're asked, well, where exactly is it? you know um you know a person might you know point to their head you know or point to their heart but you know people don't say well it's here it's it's in my left hand or they don't point to their knee or their foot you know it seems like you know the you know places a person might commonly point to is their head or their heart and i think the reason for that is that we Uh, Identify with thinking and feeling, you know, the the two sensations that feel most intimate um, uh, as a part of ourselves. Um, But when we start looking at that, um, you know, does thinking define what we are? Does feeling define what we are? So we're not denying that there's thinking happening, thoughts happen. Um, you know, we can look, we all have had that direct experience where, you know, we can, whether we're meditating or just walking across the room, we can notice that there is a, um, you know, for most of us, almost all the time, there's this linearity of thought. One thought and another thought and another thought. <laughs> no, and... and not really hardly a space there at all between them, but they are linear. We can notice that feelings are a little more complex than that. They can sort of meld into each other and combine and flow. And But the linearity of thought is quite, quite specific. So, um, we can clearly see that thought happens. What we presume, is that there must be a thinker, therefore. All right. But when we go looking for that thinker, it can be surprisingly elusive, right? We can see the thoughts clearly, and but the presumption that therefore there is a separate self in there somewhere that is the one thinking those thoughts and deciding which thoughts to think it's almost as if um, we imagine that um, you know there's sort of a backstage manager with you know all these yet to be thought thoughts that are sort of waiting there to go on stage and the manager says okay you're next go and um, but that's you know that's not what we actually find Um, you know we don't ever find the thinker of the thoughts. The thoughts are there, it's just the thinker is um, surprisingly absent. You know, so what we do with that is say, well, no, that can't be true, you know, and that's that can't be right. I, maybe I just haven't tried hard enough, I've just, I've, you know, Maybe I'm just not very good at this. Maybe I I just need to look more closely. I'm sure that it's in there somewhere. Um, But this is sort of rejecting our direct observation in favor of our belief, right? Our belief is, I think my thoughts, you know, that's that's our belief. So but our direct experience is thoughts happen. And I can't pin down this thinker. I I can't ever get a good look at a separate entity in there somewhere. That's the one thinking. So our direct experience is that thoughts arise. And we can't even say exactly where they arise from. And they may hang around for a while, have a certain lifespan, and then sort of exit stage left in favor of another thought, right? That's, that's our direct experience. Everything else is a presumption. You know, so what, what we can notice is that a thought arises and there's something, uh, that notices that thought, right? So, a thought arises, and awareness is present. Um, That that thought, you know, in a sense, appears on that screen of awareness. So, we uh, somehow, you know, we can think, I mean, we can imagine that there is a unique association between um, You know, this body, mind, and awareness, right? Every thought that we have, every feeling that we have, every sensation, you know, other than the ones that are just immediately dismissed by the mind as irrelevant, um, but the ones that come to our attention, to our awareness, um, only, our, our entire experience only ever happens within awareness. Nothing ever happens that, is outside of our awareness. We have no, no knowledge of anything happening outside of our awareness. So that's, that's pretty fundamental, right? And then this awareness seems to be associated with this particular body-mind. In other words, you know, what I am aware of is my thoughts, not someone else's thoughts what I'm aware of is when this body gets hungry, not when somebody else's body gets hungry. And I'm aware of what is appearing, you know, in front of this field of vision, not in front of a field of vision of someone in Europe, let's say. Right? So it appears that the awareness is is linked to this particular body-mind. But I'd suggest that what is um that, that that sort of conjecture is based on the assumption that this body-mind is primary and this awareness is sort of in the vicinity, sort of somehow associated with this body-mind, maybe even generated by this body-mind from the brain. I mean that's what um scientists generally believe. But again, the um, danger here is to choose to go with our beliefs about what we've heard or what we've been taught, rather than our own direct experience. So our own direct experience is that thought happens, awareness is aware of thought, The only experience we ever have of thought is that which appears within that awareness. So, from the perspective of this particular um, body-mind, this is where um, perceptions and sensations and thinking happens in this body-mind, right? The fact that this body-mind is able to, you know, receive and compile um, that information through its experience of um, prior events and understanding of basic functionality of life, the body's capable of doing that. The body sees things, it hears things, it thinks things. Um, So there's no question about that. Um, But the presumption that, therefore, because the body's has this capability that therefore there is a separate self, is a leap. A leap with no proof, it's just a, a presumption that there must be, if if this uh, processing function is happening within this body-mind that I can perceive, um, there must be somebody in charge, right? <laughs> Somebody that I call I, me. The problem comes when we actually go looking very specifically for what that is. And what we find, the only thing we find is awareness and what appears Within awareness, that's what we actually find. So we can, this body mind can, um, uh, you know, collect, compile, in, interpret this information. But where um, those uh, images and feelings and thoughts are actually registered is in awareness. So this this awareness, when we when we first Notice it, it feels personal because it feels like it 's located you know in proximity to this body mind, so we think of i me me, the separate me, has now discovered this um, you know interesting phenomena called awareness it 's something that i 've discovered I can visit it, um, you know I can rest in it sometimes it sometimes it's peaceful if I can hang out there for a while, um, so it feels very personal that way but when and that's fine i mean that's that's sort of um maybe the the you know the first glimpse when we you know open the door and look inside that's the appear the first appearance of it and the the reason that it's the first appearance of it is because we're still functioning largely from the perspective of a separate self. And we're still looking at awareness from the perspective of the separate self. We can have the sense of it to a certain degree, the sense of presence, the sense of quiet, the sense of spaciousness. But we're, we're still looking at it from the veil, through the veil, from the, from the separate self. So it appears to be, um, you know, sort of nearby, personal but when when we actually look at it more deeply, we see that it this awareness is curiously devoid of um, defining characteristics. you know we can say that well it's it's peaceful it's it's um spacious, it's um you know enlivening it's those kind of words, but that's actually more. How this body mind feels in the presence of it, than what is being um, what emanates from the awareness itself. The awareness itself is surprisingly absent of um, characteristics other than um, this knowingness, right? Not knowing facts and figures, but just the ability, the capacity to. Um, be aware that's what it has (laughs) but that is where our entire life is being lived it's 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 what's happening already you know we take credit for it as a separate self but where it but what's actually happening is that everything is happening with an awareness already you know so when we talk about. you know, sort of the impersonal characteristics of, of this awareness, um, we realize that it is, by impersonal, it doesn't mean not intimate. It right? doesn't mean far away. It doesn't mean like it's, a, um, you know, some distant entity that's come to visit us. Um, you know, it is our deepest nature, our most fundamental nature. Um, But the impersonal, what what makes it feel impersonal is that it doesn't have all the, um, you know, me separate self characteristics that, you know, the identification as a body-mind does. It's just aware, right? Just aware. So it's not impersonal in a sort of dismissive kind of way. It's totally, totally intimate. It's you know the most intimate um, thing to us. Even, even to say intimate is not correct because you know to say intimate implies two things. You know me and awareness. It's it's not even that. There's not two things. What we essentially are is is that awareness. That's the beyond any concept of intimacy, but Um, By using that word, I'm just implying that it's not uh, distant from us. There's not a sense of otherness there. Maybe when we first encounter it, there is. But after a while, there's not. There's um, there's just a, a relaxation in it as what we are. As what we essentially are. So this awareness... Um, we come to realize, isn't isn't personal? It's not our awareness. It's not being generated by this body mind. It actually is um, more fundamental than this body mind. Body mind actually isn't aware. <laughs> it can function. It can receive. It can do lots of things. It can think, um, but. The only thing that notices all of that is awareness. So that that is how we are living our entire life. So that awareness is um, uh, has has an enlivening <laughs> um, capacity on whatever it lights up. It's sort of like, you know, the sun shines, an individual flower receives that sun and colors appear. You know, by virtue of the sun shining, but it's not like the sun intends to light up that particular flower. The sun shines. It's just its nature to shine. It's just freely given. It's it's that, um, you know, originating movement. Uh, and it happens to be received by a particular flower, but not as a result of any intention or agenda by the sun. It's just an outpouring. So in the same way, the, the awareness um, uh, uh, lightens um, this particular body-mind and every in every body-mind. Um, it's It's perceived by this particular body-mind as you know, being in this vicinity, but that's because this is where the perceptions happen. They're they're registered on awareness, but they happen. This body mind is required for the perception of you know sight or hearing to be um, to be seen or heard. Those those perceptions require a body mind. So the the body mind requires awareness. Awareness doesn't require a body-mind. So when, you know, this kind of, you know, when we first hear this kind of talk, it's easy for the mind to rebel. You know, it doesn't like to hear this, doesn't like to hear that it, you know, there's not something personal um, that is in charge. You know because we've been thoroughly conditioned, um, we're convinced we have this conviction that what I am is separate, that I think, that I make decisions, um, that I am the doer of my deeds. And um, you know when that is questioned, the the mind doesn't like it. the mind reacts often, right? So it can react by, you know, being angry you know, being dismissive, um, you know, just, um, uh, you know, being bored, being sleepy. Those are all strategies of the mind to, you know, not want to hear, not want to hear this. But we can um, look at these, how things work Directly, it's much more valuable to look for ourselves, you know, what our own direct experience is and to trust that. Um, but what we've been taught and often do is to distrust our own experience in favor of what somebody else says or um, what we've been taught over a lifetime. But the um, You know, it's really our own direct experience, the truth of that, that where the freedom actually lies, because when we investigate it for ourselves, you know, to our in our own direct experience, you know, to the depth of our own satisfaction, then when we. Come to the answer as a result of that sort of no holds barred investigation. then it's that it's our answer, it's not somebody else's answer. So I'm not in any way suggesting that um, one takes up this belief that oh, I get it now. Uh, what I am misawareness. You know what? What I am suggesting is that if we, if we don't know precisely what we are. Um, is to hold up the possibility that maybe what we are isn't limited to this body, these feelings, these thoughts. That there may be something else more fundamental than this body-mind. You know, if we don't know, and we've heard that, you know, maybe awareness is more fundamental, then what we can do is just hold that as a possibility. not accept it as a belief, that that's less, far less than useful. But just to hold it as a possibility, like, I wonder if that's actually true. You know, I wonder if that could actually be true. You know, it sounds, um, you know, I guess to some ears, it could sound like a sort of a dry, Um, philosophical argument, but the the essence of it is that if we believe that what we are is this body, these feelings, these thoughts, that's it. Um, You know, we can easily see that what we take ourselves to be is a perishable entity, (laughs) right? And so, you know, if we're living life from that perspective there is uh, unavoidably um anxiousness you know vul- a sense of vulnerability S- sense of trying to squeeze something out of life before it ends okay. but if, if if we can even even conceptually acknowledge well you know since I don't know, maybe it's worth exploring the possibility of, you know, maybe what I am is is awareness. I wonder what that is. Because if that is found to be our true identity, um, then it raises the whole question about um, whether that awareness was present before birth, Will be present after death. We can even ask if that awareness is alive. All right. Valid question. Feels alive. Feels not a it's not an inert awareness. But it sort of depends on you know, how we define the term alive. If we define it as birth, life, and death, then can we say for sure that awareness is alive? Did awareness arise at our birth? Do we know that for sure? You know, is, I mean, one thing that we can see directly in our own experience is that this awareness is formless. (laughs) It's not of this world of form, doesn't have a size, it doesn't have a color, doesn't change, (laughs) it's always aware. Doesn't have anything to defend, doesn't have anything to protect, doesn't have an agenda. It's aware. But it does have this, since it is where we live our entire life in that field of awareness, it does, um, you could say, it is what enlivens enlivens us. It is where that entire experience of living this life occurs. Um, so the body-mind is dependent on awareness. Without awareness we would have no clue whether we had a body, we didn't have a body, we existed, we didn't. All of that requires awareness. Awareness doesn't require a body. There are many times when we can just step back into awareness um, without any objects of perception, feeling, thinking, seeing, hearing, and just rest in that awareness. Awareness has the capacity to be aware of itself, self-aware. Right? So awareness doesn't require a body. Body does require awareness. So there there are times when, um, well, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about the difference between um, functional thought and abstract thought. Okay, functional thought is not a problem. Functional thought, um, you know, is just practical. You know, it doesn't stir up judgment and emotions. And so functional thought can be something like... Um, You know, I'd like to eat spaghetti for dinner tonight, so I I need to buy pasta and tomato sauce and onions and peppers, etc. And I need time to cook it. No, you know, functional thought. Abstract thought is things that we tell ourselves about or whatever's happening, right? So an abstract thought might be um, my spaghetti's never as good as my mother's, you know, never rises to that level, okay? So that, you know, you know, the one's mother isn't cooking spaghetti now, so it's sort of irrelevant. Comparing that to something else um, subjectively isn't happening now, except in our own head. And so that's, here's an abstract thought that's introducing judgment, uh, comparison, um, you know, these other things that create emotion that actually separate us from the um, very natural movement of preparing one's dinner. Right. So we could, uh, um, just one more example, we could have the thought, um, you know, I, I, I'm beginning to recognize that many of my thoughts are um, repetitive and habitual. OK. I mean, that's a useful observation, right? You know, we say it without a lot of judgment or criticism or bemoaning the fact or anything. We're just st- saying it as a statement, a useful observation. Yes, they're repetitive. OK, that's good to know. A abstract thought might be, my thoughts are habitual and repetitive, and um, if I was more spiritually advanced, um, I wouldn't be bothered by thinking at all. Right? So that's a just a self-judgment introducing a whole, whole new, um, you know, self-evaluation. So this this abstract thinking is what um, creates a sense of separate self. You know, creates a uh, a belief in some entity that. Is supposedly housed in this body mind somewhere that is separate from well everything else, right. but this is this is just a belief. That's that's all it is. So when you know in spirituality when um, we talk about dropping the ego, or you know even more dramatically, ego death. What we're actually talking about is um, seeing through a misperception. Right? It's not like there's anything real that we're getting rid of. Right, the, this sense of the body's ability to, um, you know, register perceptions, um, feelings, thoughts, etc that's that's all fine, I mean that's useful it's functional um, the you know the thought that therefore there's something separate here, separate from the rest of existence um, that i can't quite put my finger on admittedly, but I know it's there that that's a belief so what what is actually being? Dropped when we talk about dropping the ego is just that exact belief. It's just a belief. It's not. But because we take that to be what we are, it feels like, you know, our very existence is under threat here. Like, oh my God, I'm being asked to drop my ego. <laughs> n- n- no, the ego never existed. I mean, this ability the body to sense and you know it, you know experience its surroundings sure the body has that ability but the belief that therefore I am a separate self in there somewhere um, just a belief it's just so when this whole dropping the ego ego death is just seeing that that belief is not true that's it that's it that's the entirety of it it's just seeing that um, there never was a separate self. We're not getting rid of a separate self. There just never was one. There never, there's, it's not, uh, present now. What is living life is awareness already, fully, naturally, beautifully, you know. We get close to it sometimes, often during the day, but we don't pay it much attention. Um, like I think most people, um, most people enjoy driving a car, maybe not in the city or traffic or in a traffic jam. Um, but because at those times you have to think about it. Right? But when you're just driving and it's a nice day and you're just driving down the highway, you're not actually thinking about driving. You know, what's actually happening is you're, you know, from the perspective of awareness, it's just this, you know, gaze down the road ahead of you, and your body knows what to do. Um, So there's not mental effort required. You know, when we first learned to drive, it's all we can do to coordinate our hands and our feet, and our, especially when we have the, the gear shift, I mean, that was a whole other level of complexity but um you know but after we've conditioned the body enough we can relax about it and its awareness and function you know we can also um you know if, if there was an emergency you know a quick reaction was required you had to you know pull a child out of the way of an oncoming bus or something um there's no thought about oneself, or whether one should or shouldn't do it, or what'll people think of me, or, you know, none of that's happening. It's just, it's awareness and action. You know, it's just sort of a, a you know, bypassing this whole um, ability of the mind to think abstractly. You know, it's, um, you know, it's seeing and immediately, Um, turning that into action. So we, there. I mean, there are many, you know, if we're watching a good movie, we're not thinking about ourselves, right? (laughs) Or we're listening to music, you know, we're sort of, That's pleasurable because, you know, for at least a short time, at least for, you know, a two-hour Netflix movie, a good one, um, you know, we're not thinking about ourselves. You know, we're willing to pay good money for that. That's why actors and musicians and sports figures are paid such high salaries. We value that highly, that ability to forget about ourselves for a short period of time. Um, so this this concept of dropping our ego it doesn't mean that any capacity is lost. I mean, we're still able to, you know, respond to our name. You know, we're still able to do our job actually. Probably more effectively, um, you know, because we're not always so concerned with, you know, how am I doing? How will I be perceived, etc. So sometimes people will say, "Well, how about, um, you know, you you know, if we say that awareness is already always present, we could say, well, how about it? How about at night? You know, we, you know, aren't." conscious of being conscious and um you know in deep sleep but um let's just take dreaming first if um you know at night if we're for having a dream in that dream um we're totally convinced that the what's happening is real you know if if we if we sometimes realize that we're dreaming and it's not real, then you know it's a lucid dream, and that could happen sometimes. But most of the time, you know, we're totally hooked into the dream, right? So we might be dreaming that, you know, we're standing on top of um, a mountaintop, and uh, you know, view for miles and miles. And in the dream, the mountaintop isn't there. We're in our bed. We're not on top of the mountain, so the mountain isn't real, but the image is real. The image is actually being experienced, um, you know, again, by our mental capacities to visualize on a screen of awareness. Um, So that, that image is real. When we wake up in the morning, we say, oh, no, that wasn't real. That was just a dream. And this waking state, this is what's real. But when we really look at it we can see that um, what we have in the waking state that we think is as real as we thought the dream at night was what we have in the waking state is still the same. We open our eyes um, an image appears in our mind and we're aware of that image and we believe that it's true. So it's in that sense, it's exactly as the nighttime dream, you know, but we believe that it's more true in in this waking, waking reality. But in both cases, it is an image appearing within consciousness. That's how we live our entire life. But then we can say, well, how about deep sleep when, you know, we have no dreams, no, um, You know, we wake up and there is no, no memory of that period of time. Um, There's no memory of any content, but there is a sense of its, of the absence of content. That's, that's, um, that's what awareness, (laughs) since it was uh, just aware of itself in deep sleep Um, there's since it is formless there's no content to be to carry out of the dream to remember afterwards but that absence can be um since when we wake up in the morning after a deep sleep there's a sense of time having passed even before we open our eyes there's a sense of um you know a gap deep a deep restful gap Um, So, even then, awareness is still present. Awareness is always present. So, when we talk about identity, you know, where our true identity is housed, um, we can see that, you know, whereas awareness is ever present, um, our remembering that we have a body-mind comes and goes. There are a lot of times during the day that we forget all about it. Uh, we certainly do in sleep. We forget that we have a, a body. You know, when we're focused on something outside of ourselves, we forget that we have a body. Um, there's a wonderful saying by Tuantazu, Tzu, who was a um, um, Chinese Taoist from about 26 centuries ago he said when the shoe fits the foot is forgotten right when there's, when everything is is feels good feels natural we forget about the body you know when we have a toothache or bellyache we remember it you know when we have a busy mind we're conscious of that but when everything is going pretty well we forget about the body and we're more um just focused on on the environment around us. So this this awareness is um, what is continuously present. It it what gives us a sense of having been the same from as far back as we could remember. Even though the body's changed, all the you know all the cells in the body have changed many times over. Opinions have changed, um, situations have changed, etc. But there is a sense of continuity, and I'd suggest that that continuity is due to um, the fact that this awareness is ever present. Whether we are paying attention to it or have never noticed it ever in our whole life, doesn't mean that it was absent for any of it. Right. It's just that awareness, presence for whatever's happening. You know, we might be totally engaged in some silly activity. Awareness is that there for that too. You know, it's not just for peace and stillness. Um, so that that continuity is a function of awareness, not of this. Body mind you know it, by saying that the when we don't remember this body mind, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist it just it doesn 't mean that it goes out of existence. it means that it is not the um, you know it's not where our fundamental identity is housed you know um, it's a beautiful beautiful organism, capable of many, many things. Um, And, you know, it's just a delight and a pleasure to be associated with it, to view life through it, to engage in life through it, to participate in life through it. Beautiful. And yet, the identity as awareness gives us a freedom to do that. Freedom, openness, recognition that what I fundamentally am is also what everybody else is, as well. It's actually the fundamental basis for compassion is the recognition that that awareness that is functioning here is totally undifferentiated from the awareness that's present everywhere else. The appearance is certainly different. Appearance that flows through this conditioning, you know, this all these experiences that this body mind has had. It's going to look different than that which is expressed through another body mind. But the essence is not different in any respect. And that's the. That's the joy of it, the beauty of it, um, and that's where oneness actually is found. It's not by, you know, trying to merge a, a sense of separate self and, you know, through longing to be part of everything else, because that that's just coming from a sense of separation and desire. Um, it's not that the desire is wrong, but the the methodology is. You know, and we can see that it's not—it's not a high state. It's not a, um, uh, you know, a state of great desire, and it—it's just that it is the, the the how things actually are, right? That's the joy of it. That's the beauty of it, um, and it's it's also the freedom of it—the freedom to fully engage in this life.